Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, To him who by understanding made the heavens. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights. For his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. For his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong arm, a strong hand, and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites. For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Thanks be to God. Please have a seat. Boys and girls can head up to Story Keepers. Thank you, Pat, for leading us in that. Thank you, congregation, for responding. Let's uh, pray as we consider this word and others this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. What a privilege it is to know that we have just participated in a psalm that goes back thousands of years where those who were the original recipients of this psalm would have uh, sung or said that refrain as we have just done. 
And as we think about the steadfast love and its implication in our lives, give us uh, understanding, give us focus, may your spirit help us so that it may change our lives today and for the days ahead, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so next week, as I, I just mentioned, I'm going to start a new series in the book of Nehemiah, but as I was thinking about what to preach on today, I kept thinking back to my first days back uh, to school in my primary elementary school near Belfast, Northern Ireland, where the teacher would announce that our homework was to write an essay entitled, What I Did on My Summer Holidays. With a little tweaking to that title, the sermon could be what we did on our summer sabbatical. I could even have added some photos, in fact, many, many photos as part of the presentation, and we could have been here for the entire morning, afternoon, evening, and so on. So then I thought, well, maybe I can narrow the theme down to what I learned on my summer sabbatical, but that would have taken quite a while as well, because as much that I learned on the sabbatical, uh, not least it has to be said, some contemporary slang from Nicholas Barris during our visit with the Barris family in Corinth. No cap, right, Nicholas? If you don't know what that means, Nicholas will tell you after the service. But in order to keep this sermon at a reasonable length, today, I'm going to speak about just one thing that I learned on the sabbatical. It turned out to be a massive encouragement to me, something that I learned fairly early on in the sabbatical, and so I decided that's what I'd share, on, uh, share with you today. We'll touch on what we just read together uh, from Psalm 136, uh, but we'll move out of there to some other passages this morning as well, because what I learned this summer has to do with godliness. And specifically, how does one go about becoming godly? There's a Colin Buchanan song. Colin Buchanan's the author of songs like We All Like Sheep Have Gone Astray, 1098, Super Savior. I heard a ba there. That was good. Uh, ba, ba, do, ba, ba. But there's one song that we've, that we've never sung of his, which is entitled Practice Being Godly. And the question one might ask is, well, yeah, okay, for some of us, we could say, I'm a Christian, I know I'm supposed to live a godly life, but what does that actually mean? How and where do I and you even start in our desire and our effort to be godly? So that's what I want to talk about today. I'm not going to give the sermon in the sentence until a little later on, but I'll give you a, a clue up front that growing in godliness is inextricably linked to our grasp of something that we've just repeated 26 times, that is God's steadfast love. Psalm 136 is a remarkable psalm, if for no other reason than the presence of that refrain that we've just repeated together that gets said some 26 times. So in each verse, we had a statement made about God's being or his actions that Pat read for us, and then this refrain comes and his steadfast love endures forever. So this summer, uh, I got into the practice of reading a psalm every morning, but with more deliberation, more focus, more attention, reading it more slowly than I would normally do. It was a, a wonderful discipline for me, one of the many aspects of the sabbatical for which I'm very grateful. But as I read a psalm each day, one of the things that struck me was simply this, that the psalms are filled to overflowing with declarations about God's steadfast love. Some of you know the Hebrew word that is translated here in Psalm 136 as steadfast love in this refrain is the Hebrew word hesed. And the word hesed occurs nearly 250 times in the Hebrew Bible. 
But the majority of those occurrences come in just one book, namely the book of Psalms, where the word appears 127 times. And once you start noticing it and paying attention to it, you realize that it's everywhere. And it's perhaps because of its frequency that some scholars have said that hesed is uh, the most important word in the Hebrew scriptures. Another reason for that claim might also be that the, the wide range of meaning the word seems to be able to have. Hesed certainly seems to be the word with the largest range of meaning in the Hebrew language. And that's borne out by how it has proven to be a notoriously difficult word to translate consistently in, by one English word. So that if you compare and contrast various different bi English Bible translations, you'll find not just steadfast love, as we just read, but also words like loving kindness, covenant love, fidelity, mercy, devotion, commitment, and so on. Because hesed has this diamond-like quality where as you turn the word around, you, you notice different facets of its beauty. Well, here in Psalm 136, where the psalmist, what the psalmist does is not so much try to give a, a working definition of hesed, but to paint a picture of what hesed looks like in action by, by connecting this refrain with this significant body of evidence, evidence of how God's steadfast love endures forever. So if you can, please turn in your pew Bible to the psalm again. It's on page 616, or if you have a device, you can look it up there, just so we can scan through it um, somewhat briefly, just to see the evidence. Psalm 136, page 616, or on your device. So the psalmist begins, verse 1, with God's character as evidence of God's love. The Lord is good. And then in verses 2 and 3, he highlights God's sovereignty as the one true God, the one true Lord, as a manifestation of his love for us. Verses 4 to 9, then, God's steadfast love is highlighted uh, through his creative acts, how he's made the heavens and the sun and the moon and the stars. Towards the end of the psalm, in verse 25, we see that God's love extends to us not just in how he's created everything, but in his providential care of everything that he's, he's made, that he takes care of it constantly. And then the biggest section of the psalm explores how God's hesed love was demonstrated through the extraordinary displays of God's might and his power when he rescued his people from, from Egypt. And so you have all of that, given all that the psalmist rehearses of God, his character, his loving deeds from verses 2 to 25, that's more than appropriate that the psalm, she'll notice, begins and ends essentially with the same words of deep gratitude to God. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, it appears to me that even with all the different uh, possible translations of the word has said, two aspects that come through here and elsewhere in, in the Old Testament are of this word are, are these, loyalty and love. Some of you may recall last year when we were going through the life of David in 2 Samuel that this word hesed appeared frequently in a particular section where it was used of King David in his care of Mephibosheth, who was the son of David's friend Jonathan. Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. And in that context, kind of on a human level, hesed was appropriately translated, we saw, as kindness. 
But it was a kindness with David and Jonathan that was grounded in a covenantal relationship that they had. This was an expression of kindness that was an expression of loyalty to Jonathan because of covenant obligations they had to each other, which was expressed in these acts of kindness and generosity. But this loyalty aspect of hesed isn't confined just to human-to-human interactions or covenants because God's hesed is bound up with his faithfulness to the covenant that he's made with his people. It's a binding, guaranteed loyalty to a people, us, a people he calls his own. So in the psalm, the psalmist refers to the people of Israel in verse 16 as his people. Verses 23 and 24, he speaks of God remembering and rescuing us, shorthand for the people of God. He uses that language because he knows that God has bound himself to a people and his faithfulness is guaranteed towards them, that God promised to be their deliverer. He promised to be their protector, their provider. That God's hesed in part refers to his unshakable dedication and faithfulness to his promises to us, his people, which he has obligated himself to fulfill so that his loyalty to his people, his loyalty to us is bomb-proof. It's not subject to change. It doesn't come and go according to our merits or our performance, which is why the psalmist can say without a shadow of a doubt that it's a love that endures forever. But what's the it specifically? What's the it that endures forever? What's the it that isn't subject to change, that doesn't come and go based on our performance? Well, the it is God's love. It's the covenantally loyal love. And it's here again where we end up tripping over ourselves as we try to come up with words to define it or describe this love adequately. Because this, frankly, is a love that's just relentless. It's lavish. It's extravagant. It's unrestrained. It's self-effacing. It's gushingly generous. It's other focus. It's a love that is poured out by God upon his people in spite of what we deserve. Here's a definition that the singer Michael Card gives in a book that he wrote on God's Hesed love. He said, Hesed is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Hesed is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. After the sermon today, we're going to be singing that wonderful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is based on the stunning verses right in the middle of the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Overwhelming majority of the book of Lamentations is, as its name suggests, a lament. It's a lament as the writer surveys the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC that had come as a result of God's judgment on the people of Israel for their rebellion against God, their wickedness, their sin. But what's stunning is that in that context, where the people had so blatantly sinned and rebelled against God and effaced the consequences of their sin, they still appeal to the Lord's hesed. They still cast themselves on God's steadfast love. Here are these familiar words, Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies to us, his tangible expression of his steadfast love, are new every morning. Back when I was growing up, uh, 
just outside of Belfast every morning. Davy the milkman came bright and early in his milk van to our house at 5 Rostella Avenue and brought small bottles of milk for that day. They were like the ones on the screen, glass bottles with foil on top. We had to leave a cover, a plastic cover out for Davy to put on top of the, the bottles to prevent the birds pecking through the foil for a drink before we got to it. But, but it was new, new bottles every morning. And the writer of the Lamentations says that's the regularity with which God pours out his mercies into our lives and extends his love to us. I don't want to lay any guilt trip on any of us, but, but I wonder how many of us have thanked him already today for this morning's delivery. But it's actually not just the mornings, is it? It's the afternoons and the evenings and the night times. But it's even more than that. It's better than that because God's hesed love that is delivered to us fresh daily, actually, the psalmist says elsewhere, pursues us. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy there, guess what it's translating? It's translating our, our word of the day has said. But this goodness and, and love of God doesn't just kind of willy-nilly follow us. More accurately, he says, they pursue us. The verb that's used here is used elsewhere of pursuing enemies, going after someone to do them harm. And here David turns the verb, as it were, on its head to say, I am so cared for by God that it's like God has these two special agents, one called goodness and one called steadfast love. And these two God-commissioned agents stay in hot pursuit of those who are his people always seeking to waylay us and heap more and more and more of God's extravagant love upon us. That's the unbelievable and lavish hesed of the Lord with which he pledges to dog your tracks every single day of your life. Now I imagine for some of us here, some of that's been review. You've heard variations on what God's steadfast love is, hesed is, and so forth. Hopefully it's been a good reminder. If you're here today and you've never heard of this extraordinary love of God, what a great day you've chosen to come to church. Because this steadfast love that endures forever is extended to every single one of us as a gift from God if you will receive it. But some of you are thinking, so, so what exactly did you learn this summer? Well, we're getting to that now. So on Thursday, the 23rd of June, I was reading Psalm 4, and in that psalm I read verse 3, which says this, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now, that's a good verse. I mean, some good reminders there about God's rightful possession of his people, his commitment to his people, his commitment to hear our prayers when we pray to him. But, but I, I have to confess, I didn't think much more of it beyond that. My experience actually wasn't that dissimilar to something I read a few weeks ago in Frederick Beekner's book, The Remarkable Ordinary. As some of you may know, Beekner, who, as well as a writer, was an ordained Presbyterian minister, died just last month at the age of 96, actually just an hour south of where Tara and I were staying in Vermont for the last part of our sabbatical. We actually drove past his farm on our way home last Saturday. And I've dabbled in Beekner's books previously, but his death has sort of prompted me to dive into his writings over the last few weeks, which uh, frankly has been wonderful. But, but here's the paragraph that struck me in particular in relation to my reading of Psalm 4, verse 3, again from his book, The Remarkable Ordinary. He says, the trouble is, of course, 
that for many people, the language of doctrine, the language of Zion, the religious words, the biblical categories, and so on, are like coins that have been handled so long that the images rub off. You don't know what they are. You can't read them anymore. They're rubbed smooth. You don't know what they're worth. You've heard these words, and you've heard them, and heard them, and heard them, to the point where they lose their currency. They don't have the power they once did. So don't be surprised if you find yourself asking, isn't there some new language for speaking of holy things? Of course there is. Now, those words that I was reading in Psalm 4 that morning had a feel just of being rubbed smooth to me because I'd heard them and what was behind them so often. But what was interesting is that God's provision of some fresh language for speaking of holy things from Psalm 4 that morning actually came to me through another Hebrew word. Because, you see, my practice after reading the psalm that each morning would be I would reread it, I'd take some notes, and then my final step was to look up the ESV study note, Bible online notes, and see what additional notes might be there, what additional insights might be provided on the psalm. So I did that with Psalm 4, and when I came to the note on verse 3, I read this. The godly person, Hebrew Hasid, is the one who has genuinely and from the heart laid hold of God's steadfast love, has said, offered in his covenant. The singular here stresses that each faithful member of the people may have this confidence. You read that first sentence again. The godly person, Hebrew Hasid, is the one who has genuinely and from the heart laid hold of God's steadfast love, has said, offered in his covenant. Here's today's sermon in a sentence. You even get to learn some Hebrew. The Hasid is the one who has laid hold of God's Hasid. Let me flesh that out a bit. So the Hebrew consonants, you might be able to see, even if you don't know Hebrew, you can see some similarity between those two words. And that, that is, the, the consonants are the same here between these two words. It's the vowels that have changed. But that tells us these two words are inextricably linked. They're basically the same root word. The Hasid the notes were telling me, is the one who has laid hold of God's has said. That is, the, the godly are those who have genuinely and from the heart laid hold of God's steadfast love that we were talking about for the last 10, 15 minutes in his covenant. Now, this insight, whether this seems earth-shattering to you or not, laid a foundation for, for the rest of my time with God through the sabbatical, because in a sense... In a sense, it wasn't something that I didn't know before. I did, but, but the new language for speaking of holy things that God gave me that morning helped me see anew that godliness is always grounded in the gospel. In my worst moments, I start to think that godliness is all up to me. It's about me and my moral rectitude. It's about me trying harder. It's about my efforts to try to be a good, upstanding Christian person. But to practice being godly, again, in the words of the Colin Buchanan song, starts with the gospel. It means laying hold again and again of God's steadfast love, that the love that is new every morning, the love that is constantly pursuing you out of God's complete commitment to you. And that should be important to all of us because all of us here struggle with godliness in one or more areas of our lives. For some of us, it has to do with our temper, if we're honest. For others of us, it's our tongue, gossip, slander, 
how we speak to people or about people who are different from us or who have different viewpoints on certain things than us. For others of us, we struggle with godliness uh, and it has to do with, with just unbelief at times or sexual purity or greed or pride. But whatever our struggle is, the psalmist is telling us that the place to start in those battles is with God's hesed love. You go back to the basics. It's not a passive thing. It's godliness still takes effort. But if we don't start from the foundation of God's enduring love for us, then it becomes all about us and what we can do and what we can't do. And that will always be a path to frustration and failure. The Hasid is the one who has laid hold of God's Hasid. Psalm 136 rehearsed for us numerous ways that God has explicitly demonstrated that steadfast love. But of course, at the time of the writing of the psalm, the greatest manifestation of God's Hasid still lay far in the distance. Because it, it is, of course, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the ultimate fulfillment and manifestation of God's steadfast love that endures forever. Has, of course, been another 96-year-old besides Frederick Buechner, who has died in recent days. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was 96 when she died this past Thursday. It was interesting to me that both our kids, Fiona and Duncan, texted me on Thursday to ask how I was holding up at the news of their death. I think they were actually genuine. Uh, I was a little surprised, but as Tara reminded me, they both have recognized my deep admiration and affection for the one I would, would consider my queen and, and recognize that if for no other reason that my, than my strong encouragement every Christmas day that we would sit down at the television and watch the Queen's speech, Christmas Day speech. And I'm sure you've seen some of the many tributes and eulogies that have been delivered about the Queen uh, since her death. I was reminded this morning, actually, on this 21st anniversary of 9-11, that the following day to 9-11, the Queen ordered the U.S. national anthem to be played, the change in the guard outside Buckingham Palace, something that had never before occurred in any shape or form. But in all the tributes, what hasn't at times been emphasized as, as it should have been in my mind is that the backbone of her life of service and duty and sacrifice was her faith in Jesus Christ, something to which she testified in so many of those Christmas Day addresses. British MP Tim Farron, former leader of the Liberal Democrat Party, made a point of highlighting her faith amongst the tributes made in Parliament on Friday when he said this, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth was a constant to us all, which has been said already. But the constant in her life was her faith in Jesus Christ. Let's remember this, for many people it may have been, but for her it was not a perfunctory ceremonial faith. It was a living act of faith in a living Savior. Let us remember this, we have sung for 70 years, God save the Queen. If her faith was accurate, and I am certain it was, God has saved the Queen. Here's an example of how the Queen expressed her faith in one of those Christmas Day speeches. She said, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. Queen understood that the, the great, God's greatest demonstration of his Hesed love came in the person of his son, 
our Savior Jesus Christ, and she put her trust in him for her salvation and for the forgiveness of her sins. And she, of course, like all of us, had failings in Hasid. She wasn't uh, always godly, but in response to her failure and ours, the fullness of the Lord's Hasid was demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of the ultimate and true Hasid, the one and only truly godly one, Jesus Christ himself, who came and showed the Hasid of God in the flesh. The Gospel writer John marvelously testifies to this in the opening chapter of his Gospel. John refers to Jesus, you may recall in John 1, as the Word, the Logos, and then here's what he tells us about the Word in John 1.14. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Most commentators believe that John here was working off a passage in Exodus 34 in the Old Testament, when Moses asked God to see his glory. And God says to Moses, no, you can't see my glory or you'll die. But he says, here's what I'll show you. And the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed this, Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So it's one of God's first revelations of himself in scripture as the God of steadfast love. But when, when John writes that the word was full of grace and truth here in verse 14, it's his Greek paraphrase of the Hebrew back in Exodus 34, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In other words, John wants us to see, if, if you want to see the greatest expression of God's hesed love, his loving kindness, his grace to you, Behold the Word made flesh. Behold Jesus, the Hasid. Look at the one who suffered the ultimate devastation at the hand of God, the one who didn't deserve it but willingly suffered it in your place and mine for the forgiveness of our sins. Look at the one who was cut off from his heavenly Father as he hung on the cross so that you and I never have to be cut off from him. Jesus lost the Father so that we don't have to. And it says, you and I come back to this glorious gospel in all its fullness over and over again, that we, are, we get grounded in order to grow in, go, in godliness. That in order to be Hasid, we need to hold on to his Hasid. And when we do, we find that God's steadfast love radically redefines us from fallen to beloved, from outcasts and strangers and orphans to daughters and sons. And in turn, it changes us into the kind of people God has designed us to be, Hasids, having laid hold of his Hased. We come to the place where with the apostle Paul, we can say, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that changes everything. Practice being godly by being grounded in the gospel. That Colin Buchanan song actually puts it pretty well. It goes like this. Never give up. Make it your aim. Practice being godly. If you've been forgiven in Jesus' name, practice being godly. He paid the price for all our sin. His Holy Spirit dwells within. So center all you do on him. Practice being godly. The Hasid is the one who has laid hold of God's Hasid. Let's pray.
Or the translations of this Hebrew word and their, their variety demonstrate how hard it is for us to put into words your love for us. May this morning but have given us a glimpse of its fullness, its majesty, its beauty, its lavishness. And Lord, as we think about your greatest manifestation of that love in Jesus, may that be where we go every day of our lives so that we would become increasingly those who are Hasid, godly, understand your love and who see it permeate our lives and change our lives, transforming us into the people you want us to be. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being the Hasid for us when we weren't. But we ask it in your name. Amen.